0: Jesus, we thank you. Again, God, that we're here. Um, we come before your presence just asking, God, that you give us wisdom, understanding, and revelation. We understand that no man, God, in himself, God can accumulate the knowledge of the understanding that you provide, Lord. So we ask you, God, to help us gain wisdom, that you are our wisdom, that our wisdom is a person. And as we have you with us, Lord, we are strengthened, and we are guided, and we are, we are totally, completely loved by you. We praise you, we thank you. And we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to start here. Um, we always talk about the sheep, and I know that we just kind of sing a mini song about it. But um, if you notice one thing, is that the Lord goes and gets the sheep. Amen. You see, you see that happening. The Lord, he's the shepherd. He leaves the 99. He goes and gets the sheep. It's crazy that we think, like, uh, there's a verbiage that we use in church that's pretty common as I found the Lord Right. I found the Lord But that's a very Old Testament concept and under the law of Moses, right? You would seek for the Lord in hopes that you would find him But you find that Jesus kind of does things a little backwards than the law Because since he satisfies the law he can do things on our behalf Okay, so the fact that he is righteous on our behalf we can receive the blessings of the law it's very interesting concept but coming back to the sheep he is the shepherd who finds the sheep he is the one who goes out of his way to bring the sheep he finds us we don't find him the bible tells us we we've we, we read about this we've done a study on repentance right and and the goodness of god according to romans 2 is what leads us to repentance do, do we, we see the riches his riches his forbearance, his long suffering long suffering can be easily understood as suffering a very long time right? just kind of put the words backwards so he suffers long do you despise how long he'll wait for you not knowing being completely ignorant that the goodness of God is what leads us to repentance right and the Bible talks about that he granted them repentance he granted the Jews repentance he granted the Gentiles we're Gentiles so if you're not a Jew then you're a Gentile So he granted the Gentiles repentance as well. So it's something that God does, right? But we kind of have this mentality. This is where it becomes very difficult to become grateful in life, right? To become thankful because we become very, um, our lives become masked around the idea that we've done something. That we've somehow achieved something on our own. That we, we did this and we're blessed because we did this. Well, we're not blessed and we're cursed because we did this. And we, we focus, it's like so much self-occupation, so much focus inward that what have I done? What have I not done? What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? And then based on what we've done right and wrong, we kind of look at our life and then we see the good things and the bad things. We kind of put them on a scale and say, okay, all these good things have achieved me this or achieved me that. But we notice from the beginning, okay, who went looking for Adam? The Lord. Right after they sinned, so even in your sinful state, there's proof from the beginning is that God looks for man. The man thinks he's done something. Oh, I found the Lord, right? I found Jesus, right? No, no, no. Jesus found you, right? And He demonstrated to you His goodness, and He granted to you repentance. Notice how that has nothing to do with you, right? But in Christianity, we've been taught to make it about us. We read the Bible, we open it, flip through the pages, and then look, oh, where's me in here, right? Where's me? Where can I find myself? And God's like, no, 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 that's not going to help you. If you read 2 Corinthians, 3, chapter, uh, chapter, 2 Corinthians 3, chapter 3, verse 18, it talks about that through the reading of the word, if we find Christ in the reading of the word and we see him in his glory as we read in the scriptures, then we're changed. So there's the equal opportunity for all men, right? And the word doesn't have to literally be the book. It can be through someone else's life. That's why Paul says we are living epistles. Our lives are living word of God. We're living examples of what God can do. And so as people see the, the, good, the good things right in their life. So if his goodness leads us to repentance, what's the end result? Is it will be a testimony of his goodness, right? So we know that that's the will of God for all of our lives, is that for us to be a testimony of how good he is in spite of how bad we are. Because in man is no good. In the flesh dwells no good thing, right? That's why we don't trust and put confidence in the flesh. We don't trust ourselves in situations where, where we can depend on this body to perform good. We put ourselves in situations where we don't have to depend on this body and we come to a place of surrender to his nature so god i lack integrity give me integrity god i lack more morale give me morale. right in certain situations and we can go to god for that because his nature is not to be we're not to be like christ in our leadership on saturday we learned that, that scripture doesn't teach you to be like christ find it look in. look look through the whole entire bible you can, you can read line upon line it teaches you that you are christ that you are one with Christ, that he is you and you are him. Okay. And nothing can separate you from that. But we've been taught that many things can separate us. Well, if you do this, well, if you do that, well, if you, if you say these things can separate you, then you've created that avenue now, right? It's, your, it's as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if we create avenues in our brain that say something can separate me, right, we'll fall astray. So it's very important as we, we talk today about two in and through. I'll get to what that means. That we we start a good foundation of understanding that everything comes from the Lord, right? I heard a quote the other day that said this: um, "Don't pray about anything that you can do yourself," right? That bothered me so bad based off of everything I just said, right? You understand, right? Right now, why that bothered me probably bothers me because I was like, "No, no, 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 no! You pray to God for." what you can do yourself and what you can't do yourself. Because what you have is already from him, right? And what you don't have will be provided by him. So it's all from him, no glory to man, no credit to man. But this is how we start measuring ourselves against each other, right? Is that oh, like I've done this and I'm this now, and I'm this and I'm that now, and then, okay, but I've done more, and I've been here longer. And then it's like, you know, we kind of put these measurements of, of, of what we've done, right? But what Christ does is he, is the grand equalizer of all men. All have sinned, there's none good, no not one, not a single one, and, he, and the worst of man is a, can be accomplished by any human if put in the right situation. The worst that you see of mankind out in the world can be accomplished by any one of us in this room if given the opportunity and put in the right situation because our heart is deceitfully wicked. It's it's innate, right? This is where you can learn to become truly grateful. This is how you can become truly grateful because when you do see good, now understanding your original state, your state without God, right? You see the gap and you're able to be grateful. Genuinely, not fake, right? You don't have to try. Have you ever been in a situation where you, didn't, you weren't fully mature about God yet and you kind of felt like, why am I thanking God for this? Why am I praising God for this? It kind of doesn't make sense. I felt like I really worked really hard. I did a lot here, right? And when we put our eyes on man and we put our eyes on ourselves, that's the road to disappointment. Because no person will meet your expectations. Man will always fail you, right? But when you put your hope in man, that's where in their flesh, and you put confidence in their flesh, right, to perform that which is good, it's disappointment. It's a road to disappointment because none of us are perfect. So then what hope do we have? Our hope is in God, right? He's the constant. The only place I put my hope is in God. He's the constant. He's the one that never changes. He's the one that's always there. He's the one that's always the same, right? He's the one that loved you, loves you, and will love you. Do the worst of yourself, do the best of yourself, because our approach to God is never on the basis of us, okay? So, having said that, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to read from the scriptures, and I want to open something up to you because this is very important, with this as the foundation, right? This is very important because in Galatians, this man named Paul, he's an apostle, a, a, a grand messenger of God, right? So, the message of the gospel all across uh, the, world, the known world at the time. Okay? He's spreading this message. But this is a Greek church. Okay? This is a Greek church, Galatians. The name in itself speaks Galatia. right? It's not a, it's not a Jewish church. But there was Jewish synagogues in Galatia. Okay? And so what ended up happening is the gospel comes to Galatia. It's spread among Galatia, right? But then you have these Jews who uphold the law of Moses, like to the T, right? They do Sabbath. They do all the rituals. They don't eat pork. They don't eat shrimp. You know what I mean? I don't know who doesn't eat shrimp, right? <laughs> but, but, And so what they were trying to do is impose the law of Moses onto the Galatian church. Okay? And so Paul, and they fell for it. So all these people in the Galatian church were like, well, yeah, like, well, let's, as grown men, go get circumcised, you know? And <laughs> let's, let's go do this, let's go do that, let's, let's abstain from this, let's go do that, right? It's this whole process of, of, of becoming right with God, right? Or continuing to be right with God because you're made righteous by faith, right? You believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross for your sins, amen? But then... Here's what, here's, here's modern, in modern day, how we've done it. we put stipulations to maintain it. You want to know how you, you remain righteous by faith? Here's a list. Here's a list, right? We, we kind of put two, you know, uh, the commandments, right? We, we get the stones right, of the law, and we say, you're made righteous by faith, but here's how you maintain it, then we bring back the law into the conversation, you need to keep the law, the Lord says love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, right, and you're like, I try, but I can't, right, I try, but I can't, like, I don't know about you guys, and this is like, gonna be weird to confess, okay, so don't throw a stone at me, but I'm not always in the mood to be loving the Lord. I know everyone is like, I know some people say, oh, I always love the Lord. Okay. But I'll I'll be the first one to say, there's moments where I'm like, man, based on some of my actions, I don't really think that I love the Lord as much as I say that I do, you know? I, I question it, I look at it, and I'm like, do I really love God the way I say I do? Right? As much as I say I do. Because we emphasize that a lot. Oh, I love him, I love him, I love him. And then we end up like Peter, right? Peter, I love him, and then you betray him. <laughs> it's, like, it's this zealousness to love him, and then end up betraying him. And we've done these studies, right? Where you see John. John says, I'm the beloved, I'm the most loved. I'm the most loved by Jesus. He never says, I love Jesus. He's the one that's saying, I'm loved by Jesus. Lays on his chest, is the only one at the foot of the cross. He's the most faithful, the most committed, gets the, the best revelations. He's the one that wrote the book of Revelations. When they try to put him in a boiling pot at age 90, he didn't boil. He didn't cook. You know? God said, No, my beloved John is not food. Right? We're not not cooking John. We're not. Not today. So, what people try to do is they say, Justification by faith. You're right with God by faith. But, right? That everything, you know, when I heard there's a statement where you say, When you say but, it kind of diminishes everything before, right? You know, when someone says, like, oh, can you do me a favor? And you're like, yes. And then you're like, okay, cool. And then, but, it's like, wait, <laughs> like, what's the but for Come on. And then, here's the law. They say, but the law. Okay? So when we read from Galatians 1, that's the context. It's giving you kind of a bigger picture. So um, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1 says, O foolish Galatians. And I want you to know this word foolish. In English, can be looked at as like, this is a harsher word than stupid okay but that's the that would be an English equivalent from Greek it's a harsh tone it's not a soft toned word it's a harsh tone Oh, foolish Galatians who has bewitched you so not as you say to bewitch you but who put a Harry Potter spell on you right who put a spell on you who casted a spell on you that you should not obey the truth look angel it says obey right there right obey obey well what's the what truth what truth Right? What truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Okay? He says, This is what I want to learn of you. Did you receive this Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So he's saying this when the Spirit of God fell onto your life, okay, did you receive it because you were obedient to God through the law? Or did you receive it because you heard you could receive it in spite of yourself because of what Jesus did on the cross? You heard you could receive it and you believed you could receive it in spite of yourself, therefore received it, right? Which one? Did you receive it because you were good? No. Because if, you, if the law was the prerequisite, pre, uh, right, to receiving from God, we would all be disqualified. Okay? So he's making a point here. He's starting off very strong, right? Because this is just like receiving the spirit, right? What about some more tangible things in Christianity? Then he says, verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, and are now made perfect by the flesh? So you began. So he makes the point here. So this is your walk with God, right? This is heaven, capital H. this is uh, your babies. Be a job of God. This is kind of where you're at in life right now, right? This is when you receive God, right? You receive God. I know I'm drawing a little funky here, but you receive God. It's the Boom. Right? This is kind of where you're at. When you first received God, okay? Did you receive God because you were holy? Because you were good? Because you were righteous? Because you had good behavior? Because you knew how to do the right things? Because you had perfect moral? Because you had um, um, moral standards? No, right? Here's, here's a story about someone like that. Someone who thought that was rejected by Jesus. Rich young ruler. He says, I've done the whole law, right? And Jesus says, okay, well, sell all you have. He had money as his God, right? So he, he broke the law, but Jesus made him aware of the law he was breaking. Having other gods before me, then he's like, I can't. So he walked away, self-condemned. He had the opportunity to make God first, but he rejected it. Right? He rejected it, and so he kept his own self-righteousness, walked away sad. So you see that if, when you first received God, were you made? Were you able to receive God because you were good? No. So why in the world, on any basis, would we expect anyone to change anything about their life on the first day that they meet God? Right? We study Abraham. What about Abraham? Abraham, remember, Abraham meets God 20 years later, then he believes God. 20 years later, then he produces works. That's the time frame. When he offered Isaac, when he offered a a work that was... um, a work above all works, right? It was acknowledged by God as a good work in the book of James where it says faith without works is dead. That's what that's about. Is it after 40 years of being introduced to God 40 years, then he produces a notable work. Right? So why? So, towards the end of his life. Right? So this whole time he was made righteous by faith. So he says right here, when you, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh, right? So it's justification by faith, and then now it's justification by works right after, right? That's what it's saying. Do you think that now, after you've been made right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross at this point, do you think that you maintain your standing based off good behavior, based off doing the law, right? He says, are you so foolish? So this is negative. This is not a positive thing, right? This is a knock on the people. He's he's knocking on the people. He's, He's saying you're foolish to believe that, to think that you can start in the spirit, start with justification by faith, and then end with being made righteous by your behavior. See, you're standing with God at never at any point in your life has to do with any of your behavior. People think if you teach this, people will go out and sin more, okay? It's not the truth. Because if you separate, okay, justification by faith, my standing with God, and you settle that, because how, how often are we in that battle, right? Back and forth in our head, am I right with God, am I not? Am I right with God or not? That's torture. Do you think God wants you to torture yourself about your standing? Do you think that's the will of God for us to mentally torture ourselves about our standing? You know, they say mental torture to the it affects the body in the same way physical torture does. So you have many people in the world in church, okay, serving God, who live in this mentality of I'm condemned today, but not tomorrow. Give me five days away from my last big sin, and then I'm okay. No, here's the challenge. After you have sinned, after you are aware that you have sinned, right? Because we're not always aware. Are you willing to have faith that you're still justified by faith? That will get you out of your mess. That will keep you from condemnation. That'll keep you from guilt. That'll keep you from that inevitable cycle that I'm guilty. I might as well keep doing it. I'm guilty. I might as well keep doing it. I'm bad. I might as well keep doing it. It's that cycle. Okay? You don't, no one with a clean conscience continues to do bad. We only continue to do bad when we have a bad conscience about the things that we're doing bad. Okay? So he says, are you so foolish? And he, here's, a, here's some more examples. Um, we have Gideon. okay? Gideon. This man is not a man of war. But he was called by God a man of valor, right? God called him to go and fight a war. He's the last person you would pick with the eyes. Last person you would pick with your eyes. So he gets all the people together, okay? All the people together, and God says, that's too many. Shrink it down to 300. So he, he get, from the eyes, he went and gathered all the people he would need for the war, okay? From the eyesight. He looked and he said okay all these people so God said no shrink it down shrink it down to 300 so he shrinks it down okay and then God sends him into battle not with swords or weapons okay with trumpets okay like this is like a joke right this is like a joke he sends him into battle with trumpets okay here's the point at no point God called Gideon okay a great man of valor, because that's what God was gonna make him. That's not what he was. It's obvious from the story. That's not what he was in any case, but it's who God said he was. Okay? Now here's, here's, the, here's the connection. Okay? You start in the spirit and are now made perfect by the flesh. Okay? When you think about his story, at no point, at no point was he able to be made perfect by the flesh. At no point could he rely on himself for this war. God needed this war. For his people's sake, God needed this war to be won. Okay? But he knew, God knew, from a technical standpoint, there was no way they were going to win. So God knew he had to do it by miracle. Okay? God knew that he had to do it by miracle. So he didn't need a man with stature, with strength. With power, he needed a man who would be dependent, so that he could do it by miracle. Okay. God wants to give you a victory, and all the challenges of our life, the most difficult things, He doesn't want it to do. He's not always in the business of doing it just the technical standard way. Okay, because we won't give Him glory; we won't see Him in it. Our eyes are too focused on us that we think, "Oh, I did all this effort to achieve this," right? And if we, if, if we will give ourselves the credit at the end, God often won't choose that path for us. So God sometimes, through our own mistakes, will use those situations to create a miracle circumstance where you have to be dependent the entire time by faith on him that he's going to provide, that he's going to make the way, that he's going to do it, or else that it won't be done. Does that make sense? Amen? so he's making a point here because this isn't everything, this isn't just in one thing okay? this isn't just about your standing with God, because okay? he says here have you suffered so many things in vain he says your suffering will be in vain okay? here's a complicated I'm going to try to simplify something complicated because it's, it's there, have you suffered so many things in vain your suffering will be in vain if you think at any point that your victory is by what you do Okay, because any time that you approach God by what you have to do or your own goodness, it disqualifies you because you put yourself under law. Those who seek to be justified by the works of the law fall from grace, okay? So if we approach God seeking, if we approach our victory with, with good works and thinking, oh, I, but I did good. I should deserve this, right? You're immediately disqualified from grace in that situation, okay? So when he says, even your suffering becomes in vain, your suffering only make, makes means something to God in the bigger picture of life when you're under grace. That's because he can get the most out of that suffering. That's when he can get the most out of you. That's when he can do the most with you. When you're not dependent on yourself. When you're going through it, when you're in trial, when you've made your own mistakes, Abraham made his own mistakes, he lied, right? He lied twice, saying, oh, this is my, my wife's my sister. Who did, who did God speak to? Abimelech or, or Abraham? He spoke to Abimelech. He left Abraham alone. And Abraham's the one that made the mistake. And this man was justified by faith, right? So as long as you stay in faith that you're the only way you can be right with God is because of what Jesus did. But but Angel, there's proofs every day that I'm not right with God based off my behavior. That's why it's by faith. Apart from feelings, apart from what you see, apart from the many proofs every day that you feel like, man, I don't have standing with God. But it's never on that basis in the first place. Okay? So even your suffering can become in vain when we think that our standing is by what we do. Have you suffered so many things in vain? If they yet be in vain, he therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith? So your are miracle, okay? Here's an example. David, young man. Nobody knows who he is. He's already anointed king, okay? But still nobody knows who he is. He comes into the this situation he's coming to bring his brother's lunch to kind of check on them and stuff right they think he's a pest they're like go away this is a real man's war right They're they're battling it out with with Goliath so they're sitting here Goliath's over here and there's this like Valley right that they're kind of battling and then Goliath says you know pick one one man let's do this like the old way right like a mo- like a movie my best man versus your best man right and then nobody wants to go up they're like no because if they win right what happens Then all of Israel goes into captivity, okay? So what David does is he's like, stands up, right? All right, ruddy little hair, you know, like, you know, just a a boy. Not a full-grown man yet, a boy. Goes out there, picks up five smooth stones, okay? Doesn't use all of them. Some say that he picked up five because um, Goliath had four brothers, if you didn't know that. Four brothers. He picked up five. Five in the Bible, biblical numerologies, grace, right? So he, he didn't take his own supply; he took God's supply, right? I'm just, I'm just kind of geeking out here, <laughs> but, he um he gets the five stones; he only uses one. He puts it in the in the. I, I wish I could show you one. Maybe one day I'll make one, but um, he he swings his uh, his sling. There we go. It just flings my head for a minute. Boom! Hits him in the forehead. Takes his own take, takes Goliath's own sword. Ends it, right? Finishes Goliath, okay? But he says some key words before he goes against him. And he says, he first calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. Then he says, I don't come to you by strength. I come to you in the name of the Lord. So David makes, okay. makes a, a very clear point here to, un, to understand. He said, I'm not about to beat you up or take you out because I'm some talented warrior. I'm not here to gain victory for my entire country and enslave your entire country, right? Because I'm some gifted, magical, powerful, um, secret soldier warrior, you know? He's not Captain America back there. He is just anointed. All he has is his dependence on God. And he would play his harp, and he would sing songs in the field to God. There's 22 um, letters in the Hebrew alphabet and did you know David's harp actually has twenty-two strings? For each one, for each letter, and then when you um, when you play them in Hebrew, they make noises that are pretty like like musical. So it's it's like I mean you're perfect, you're perfect understanding it at all. A harp doesn't have twenty-two strings, but David's harp does. So it's it's just so so beautiful in how like the Bible is so accurate and so pinpoint, but it's all for the purpose of showing we are men of failure, of struggle, of weakness, and we only thrive in God's kingdom when we're dependent. So you can willfully make him the answer, or you can, I'll put it this way, when you gave your life to God, you willfully made him the answer. The moment you gave your life to God, right, you made him the answer. So whatever happens in between, between the moment you gave your life to God and right now, whatever's happened in between, okay, is trying to get you back to a place of dependence on God. Because that's your most blessed state. Okay, so that's what he's saying here. He therefore that ministers to you the spirit or works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Does he do it because he's obedient to the law? Or by the hearing of faith? Is it by faith or is it by obedience and remember he starts off by saying that you shouldn't obey the truth there's an obedience to the law that's under the old covenant but the new testament obedience is not to the law it's obedience to faith it's the obedience to have faith when you see the many proofs that you're a sinner you obey by having faith that you're still righteous When you see the many proofs that you're sick, you obey by having faith that you're healed. When you see the many proofs that you lack, you obey by having faith that he's divine in his providence over your life. That's the obedience it's talking about. Why? Because this is the full context of what it's saying. It's not talking about obedience to the law. It's talking about obedience to faith. Then he says here, even Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Okay? So Abraham lived long, healthy, wealthy, was provided for, was taken care of, had had everything he needed. Okay? He even got his miracle baby, everything. And it's saying here, it's comparing, it's saying when you are under the faith of Abraham, right, you become a child of Abraham, that means a, a person who can inherit the blessings of Abraham. So we can go back in the story of Abraham, right? And see that even though in this moment, okay, have you ever seen those wealthy people that don't dress like it? Right? But they have this tremendous confidence about them. If you've met them before you met someone who's extremely wealthy, right, and, but doesn't dress like it, there's a, trem- there's a confidence about them. It's just kind of weird. You're just like, like something's different about that person, right? Because they have the confidence that the bank is full. They, oh, I got a parking ticket. It's too bad, right? They can pay it, right? Oh, like you're going to jail. I'm not worried. Got bell right? <laughs> like, there's, there's a certain confidence. I'm not saying that's the situation, right? But there's a certain confidence in what God is giving us, spiritually speaking, with being inheritors or, or, or people or receivers of the inheritance of Abraham. You have access to it. Okay? We are to have the same confidence in God Concerning our health, concerning our provision, concerning our sin, okay? Concerning our anxiety, we can have the same confidence in God about his provision for those things. Because the bank is full. The spiritual bank is full. That's why he says, I am, right? Or in, more importantly, um, it's better translated, I become that I become. When he says it to Moses, when he meets Moses, and, and Moses says, what's your name? Which I tell him your name is? He says, I am that I am. It's better translated, I become that I become. It's a blank check. So this is the thing, is we think our provisions for these things are on this side of the coin where there's none, right? Where it's subject to your bank account, where it's subject to your fitness level, where it's subject to your knowledge of healthy eating, where it's subject to your ability to to breathe right, to master your anxiety, right? We come from this angle thinking this is the answer. Thinking these these outside things are the answer, but the answer isn't there because you're a child of God. Your answer is always over here. Your answer is always over here in this invisible it doesn't stop the supply it's never ending it's there so when you go into a situation and you grow worrying right? even Jesus said which one of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature what can you do by worrying that can add to your life and make it better nothing so why not Put him as the only hope and the only source of your answers in your right, in all things. In all things, he has to be the only answer in all things. God, I'm struggling. When I was younger, and I was like, God, I'm struggling with commitment to certain things. Help me, right? I would pray that prayer because we demand commitment from ourselves. No, no, no. People would just tell me, I mean, you just need to be disciplined, right? And I understood young, it doesn't work that way. You just can't muster up discipline. Just doesn't happen overnight, right? I'm not gonna try to make myself perfect by the flesh. I'm not gonna try to discipline myself. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go to the Lord and I'm gonna say, I need your nature to step in when I'm not so committed, when I'm not so focused. I need you to step in because we are one. I am you, you are me. You said that in your work. you said that. Not me, I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to be a Buddhist per se, either, right? But he said, we're one. So if, you're, if I'm you to the world, then I need you. You're my only option. You're the only way I'll make it. You're the only way that I'll get well. You're the only way, you're the only way, you're the only way And I'm trusting that you're the only way. And guess what? And if you don't come through, I'll see you real soon. (laughs) Right? We win either way. But it's a confidence that you can have in life. Okay? Because this is settled. It's settled. It's settled. Everything the devil's trying to do in our lives is to get us to a place where we don't believe it's settled. That's why he comes to you and he says, I'm worthless. But you don't know it's his voice. So what do you do? I'm worthless. Right? He doesn't talk to you and say, you're worthless. Because then you'll know it's him. It's like, it's like, no. He says, I'm worthless. I'm not going to make it. I have no hope. I'm at my last. Right? So that's what he does. And so he's trying to convince you that it's not settled. And I'm here to declare to you today, that it's settled. Okay, now for my message. <laughs> it's like, I'm wrapping up, guys, a promise. Um, I feel like I got me a different direction right now. Um, but, to and through, to and through, okay? This is how God works. If you wanna learn God's process, God does have a process, he's organized, he's beautifully organized. Um, he can break out of his pro- process at any time. But concerning man, he he always approaches man, so he comes to man, okay? He comes to man. He shows up, right? To you. Then, as he comes to you, you have an option. Will you let him work in you? He's there. Will you acknowledge it? Will you let him work in you? Because once he works in you, then he can work through you. Okay? And once he works through you, Then, coming from here, you can be a vessel used by God to help someone else's process. Because once it goes through you, it goes to someone else, in someone else, and through someone else. This is his process. He came to the disciples. Then he lived in them. Then he worked through them. And then everything they did went to other people. Well, it's not biblical, Angel. No, it's biblical, trust me. It's, like, it's there. It's in the broader concept of, of how he dealt with people. So God will use situations to present himself to you. Okay. Invite him in. Come on in this house. Come on in this body. Live here. Live here. This is your home. Some days, I'm letting you know, God. Some days I don't want it to be your home, but you can live here. <laughs> you can live here. I'm not always perfect in my intentions, but God, give me your intentions. Let me feel your intentions. Let me feel your heart towards me to change my intentions, to transform my intentions. Because my intentions aren't so good all the time. Right? In. Okay. And then, he won't leave you, of course, but he'll... Go to someone else. He's going to. He's working two, in, and through. Two, in, and through. Two, in, and through. Think about your experience, right? You, when you came to God, He spoke to you in some way. You felt Him in your heart, right? Then you invited Him in, okay? And then it, you were changed so much by His goodness, right? To a certain degree, right? Because we're not perfected yet. We won't be until we get new bodies. But. Then, he, then you'll share it. It's like, hey, like, I met this Jesus, you know, and he gave me a new life and just, I think he can help you the same. So you're giving through and then it's to someone else, right? So pass this message on. You're, you're right with God. If you believe Jesus died, buried and resurrected, you have faith that he did that for you and you believe that that's enough, you have standing with God. Keep coming, we'll get you baptized. Keep coming, you'll be filled with the Spirit. Right? We're not focused on that because those are supplies. People say, oh, God demands repentance. God demands baptism. God demands these things, right? People come off like that, not understanding that God's not demanding them. God is supplying them. God is supplying salvation. He's granting repentance. He's granting baptism for the remission of sins. Outside of that, we have no no hope. It's not a demand. It's, It's a granting. It's a grant. Who wouldn't trade wood for gold?
1: Who wouldn't
0: trade wood for gold? You just have to know that the gold is real first, right? Who wouldn't trade it? So I'm presenting this message to you today. Because I want us to get to a place where we're solidified, where we start talking grace with each other. Start talking grace. Stop demanding discipline from each other and start supplying, start supplying to each other. Oh, you're struggling with sin? You know that God has supplied you righteousness. He supplied you right behavior. He supplied you the ability to abstain. Corinthian church, they're in fornication men they're they're, 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 are sleeping with uh, prostitutes in the temple. Okay, Paul doesn't condemn them. He speaks to them partially here and there, a, f- a, few, a few words. But he says to them, don't you know, do you know that you're the temple of God? Supply. Supply, it's not demand. It's not go be the temple of God. Don't you know that you are the temple? It says, supply to bring them back and say, you have standing, you have holiness, you have righteousness, you have God on your side, so when you're in trouble, you can call upon him to step in. That's what we're forgetting when we're in temptation, when we're in battle, when we're in struggle, when we're in trial, and we're forgetting to call on him in the middle of it and say, no, he can come through, right? Responding with faith. So... We'll wrap this up today. Um, I hope this was a, a blessing to you, but um, let's pray and let's, um, let's let God have our way in our lives. And um, we don't really have an altar call, but um, we believe repentance happens in the mind. Repentance is the Greek word change of thinking. So what that means is that it's, it's, repentance is happening as I'm talking, as the word goes forth. your mind is changed. That's more important than tears than, than, than crying on the floor, than boogers and snot everywhere, right? That stuff can happen too when you're emotional about your change of mind, of course. But I've seen people do that and never change. You know, we all have. People not in church have seen that. It never changed, right? So we're not, de- we're not depending on that emotionalism to achieve repentance. Repentance is just a change of thinking. So if you heard something today that resonates with you, that makes sense, that has put some dots together, right? Embrace it. Accept it as the knowledge of God and let it alter your mind for the good, right? So that every time you're in struggle, I have standing with God. He's on my side. I have no issues. Oh, it looks like there's issues there, though. He's on my side, so why am I going to worry? Worry's like giving up my victory that I already have. You know, it's like I scratched the bottle ticket and I won a million and I'm giving it away. No thanks. I'm keeping it in my hands. I'm not promoting scratching bottle tickets, but I just got to make that clear. Okay. Let's pray. You guys can stand with me and we'll pray and then let you go home.